Uh, example, my dad believed that if you called someone an a-hole enough, it would give you rectal cancer. Welcome to the 17th episode of Changed My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. I'm Luke T. Harrington. I'm an award-winning novelist. I'm a best-selling humorist, and I am a noted filet-o-fish enthusiast. Um, Happy Lent, or penitent Lent, or whatever. Who doesn't love fish, right? Everybody loves fish. Um... I've been hanging out um, in the, some of the weirder corners of Facebook lately, and I came across a woman named Albany Rose. Um, she's a really interesting character. She looks like the lead singer for a goth band. Um, she has had an abortion. She's an atheist, and she is a pro-life activist. Um, and I said to myself, you know, she I bet she has a really interesting story. Um, I really need to get her on the show. Um, and that's what I did, right? I don't think she needs a, a whole lot more introduction than that. So I'm just going to go ahead and flip you over to my conversation with her. And I will see you on the other side. Welcome to the 17th episode of Change My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. I'm Luke T. Harrington, and I am sitting here with Albany Rose. Say hi, Albany. Hello. Hello, hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, for listeners, if this is your first time listening to the show, this is my show where I interview people who have changed their minds about big, important things. It's, uh, you know, maybe about 50% uh, research project, 50% therapy for me, and 100% just an excuse to talk to all the weirdos I find on the internet. Um, so I am very excited to uh, have Albany on the show. I, I have been taking a deep dive lately down kind of weird pro-life Facebook. It is a strange rabbit hole and I love it. Um, and I, I discovered, I discovered Albany, um, and she is a pro-life activist who is an atheist. Um, and you know, I, I don't want to say any, a pro-life atheist is necessarily a unicorn. Um, <laughs> but it is kind of a rare thing. Um, so I, I really wanted to, um, have the conversation about how, uh, Albany found her way to a pro-life position. Um, Albany is an activist in the in Colorado, she is a stay-at-home mom, a homeschooler. Anything else you want to add to that? <laughs> Just like I said, jack of all trades. I do all the things. I do anything that I can keep my mind occupied with four miniature humans. <laughs> How many kids do you have? I'm curious. We no, we do have four. Um, they're essentially every other month we have a birthday. Oh wow. Wouldn't that be every three months, though? If there's or wait, is it? Are you including you and your husband in that? <laughs> yeah, me and my husband as well. Only one has a, a three month gap. Cool. So, how old are your kids? Uh, this uh, so right now they are three, five, six, eight. Right on. Before we uh, started recording, we Albany and I realized we have an interesting connection, which is that you, you said you were born and raised in Wisconsin, right? Born in Illinois, but moved immediately to Wisconsin. So that was my home go. for 13 years. And uh, I, I want to go back, honestly. But my husband, I made the mistake of taking him there one winter, and he laughed <laughs> in my face and said it would never happen. Is a Wisconsin winter really that much worse than a Colorado winter? I mean, I guess yeah. Colorado is quite a bit further south. Uh, Wisconsin, uh, in Wisconsin, nine times out of 10, when it's winter, it's winter. There's snow, <laughs> cold. you might get some freezing rain. It's always humid. Um, and in Colorado, you know, a week ago we had a almost 80 degree day and then mm. we had a freak blizzard that in 30 minutes gave us half an inch of snow. <laughs> so it really, yeah. Here you can't tell anything. Are you guys? Um, I'm 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 curious. Are you guys kind of up in the mountains, or are you more? We're about an hour 
not even an hour um, east of the mountains. So we're really close. Yeah. Estes, you know, Estes Park, which is a huge, huge resort. We're only about an hour and a half from there. Sure. Gotcha. Yeah. My in-laws live in Laramie, Wyoming, which is also about an hour east of the mountains. Um, yeah. Wyoming's a lot further north though. So they really do get like eight months of winter out of the year. <laughs> um, yeah. It's, um, it's, it was actually really nice here the last couple of days uh, in Madison. Um, and by really nice, I mean, it was like 40 degrees <laughs> and like the eight feet of snow on the ground melted into six feet of snow. Um, <laughs> but man, after like three months of, of, of a Wisconsin winter, when it gets up to 40, you're like, man, I'm gonna go outside in my shorts. And it's crazy when I first, when I first moved here and it was, you know, 35, 40 degrees and everyone is bundled up. I remember wearing shorts and a tank top because that was like, oh, this is nice. <laughs> I can do that. So why don't we, um, why don't, why don't we get into it? Um, name of the show is of course, changed my mind. Um, and it's, you know, it's about people who have changed their minds. So I, you know, I know you identify uh, on your Facebook page as post-abortive. Um, I don't know a whole lot about that story, but I assume that means that one time you would have identified as pro-choice or at least okay with abortion. So post-abortive um, post means that the person has had an abortion. Right, right. Um, yeah, which, I mean, I get that, but... um. I assume that you wouldn't have had an abortion if you weren't like pro-choice-ish or is that not? So when I was 16, I became pregnant, newly 16, and my dad told me that I was going to have an abortion or I was going to be kicked out of the house. Oh, wow. I actually fought to keep my baby, even though I didn't know the science behind it. You know, I was just, I guess in my brain, it was just like, oh, well, I was raised Christian and Republican and, you know, that's baby. <laughs> and... Uh, I was threatened really heavily by my dad and my stepmom and my then boyfriend's parents, uh, which, you know, when you're 16 and every, and the whole world has told you that places like Planned Parenthood are the only possible options for women, like you just believe them. And when I went to the first Planned Parenthood, they didn't perform the abortions, but the, they performed the ultrasounds and sonograms to confirm how far along you are. Uh, I asked if I could see the ultrasound and she told me no. And then she told me I wouldn't be able to see anything anyway. So from the get-go, I was lied to and pressured and made to feel horrible. So it wow. wasn't after the abortion that I actually really became pro-choice because I used it to es essentially justify what happened and kind of bury everything. Uh-huh. All right. Well, that sounds like, uh, that sounds like quite a journey. Um, I, w I think I want to talk... First, probably, I guess about um, you said you were raised in a Christian home. Um, do you want to talk about that some? Yeah, I mean, it's it's honestly really standard. I was a baptized Catholic, but I was raised Methodist, and um, you know, I went to church every Sunday, and um, I thought church was okay. I was much uh -huh. more of a personal relationship person. I was super bullied in school. I didn't have anyone, and so like God was my everything. I mm. was constantly talking to God. I was constantly journaling. I was reading and God was my, my rock essentially through most of my life, uh, especially when I was younger. Do you feel like you had kind of a lot of the, um, the pro-life thing pushed on you at church then, or is that? Nope. It was never talked about. Okay. Okay. The closest I'd ever had to a pro-life conversation was from my mom. It was when Bush and Gore were actually running for president. And sure. I remember being in the car. I was really young. And my mom looked back at me and told me that uh, Al Gore believed in sucking babies out of their moms with vacuums. And of course, I was like a little kid. And I was like, well, that sure. sounds terrifying. Like, yeah. what the yeah. hell is going on in this world? And <laughs> That was the extent of my abortion knowledge. And so, but wow. you know, it's not exactly a heavy duty foundation. Mm -hmm. So you were how old then? Then Yeah. So I was, I was nine. So yeah, you're nine when you first hear about abortion. Um, and then basically not at all until you, uh, until you get pregnant when you're 16. Is that, is that right? Pretty much. I remember, for maybe a week, you know, I, I would, I Googled abortion, but it wasn't the internet, obviously, 
you know, I don't, I don't know how old are you? Uh, I'm 35. So, okay. so yeah, you, yeah. you remember just like me, it's Google, you know, 20 some years ago was not mm-hmm. what it is today. You didn't right. have a million resources. And, you know, as a kid, I wasn't at nine, 10 years old. I wasn't reading articles. I was just looking at pictures and they didn't have the graphic images and stuff. So mm-hmm. I just saw things that were like abortion is murder, abortion is homicide. And so I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But then I had the attention span of a typical nine-year-old. So after a week, I didn't even remember what abortion <laughs> was. You're 16, you get pregnant. And you you made it sound like basically everyone in your life pushes you into the abortion. Is that? I My dad threatened me not to tell anyone. And that, that would be another reason for him to kick me out and disown me. So, And I had a terrible relationship with my mother at the time. Which is funny because her and I have an incredible relationship now. Like she was the only one that supported me when I got pregnant again. And mm. she came to the March for Life with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the time, her and I had a horrible relationship. I thought that she would just kill me. And so I I just didn't tell anyone. And, wow. you know, at, at the at the abortion facilities of the Planned Parenthood, after they sent me to their other facility in Denver, that was not a situation that was pro-woman or beneficial either. Um, so when we walked in, we walked into this little, maybe like four by four room, it was super tiny. And there was a woman behind really thick glass. And it was almost like one of those convenience stores where you have to slide the the money under the the glass. (laughs) Yeah. We had to do that with the money for the abortion and it was $350. And after she took the money, she told me and my dad that even if I don't have the abortion, we don't get a refund. So there... Now, on top of being coursed and feeling pressured, you're telling a 16-year-old that, you know, if they make a different choice, that their parents are going to be even more mad at them because you just wasted them almost $400. Wow. And uh, in the waiting room, I had all of my medical record, you know, everything that you have to write down and fill out, like a typical um, doctor visit. And I ended up writing down that I wanted to keep my baby. I wanted to go through with it. And, you know at the time, it's not like I really knew what it was. I didn't know the science. I just felt like this was wrong. And Mm -hmm. I wrote down that I wanted to keep the pregnancy as kind of like a last ditch effort because my dad was there the whole time. So I, I wasn't able to say anything Hmm. and that was never addressed. So either they didn't look at my records before they did the procedure, which is dangerous, or they just didn't care, which I find typical. And when I went into Uh, for my consultation, if you can even call it that, essentially I was pulled into a room. It was a bathroom, but it was this room. It was this weird bathroom slash room in the middle of the waiting area and their like lunchroom, like their break room. (laughs) And the woman essentially just stood there and told me that you can have the abortion pill, RU486, or you can have the surgical procedure there because of how far along I was. Um, Well, our less long long I was Hmm. and that was all it was it was just telling me my options it wasn't hey like are you sure you want to do this Mm -hmm. all these things and uh yeah it was just one thing after another of feeling hopeless it sounds like an easy choice like if someone tells me you can take a pill or have surgery I'm like give me the pill (laughs) and and looking back I was I'm actually surprised I didn't take the pill um I thought about it but there was a part of me that was so afraid of everything going on that I didn't want to like go home and mess it up because I, in my mind, I was like, I've already failed everyone. I'm going to try to go home and do this and I'm going to kill myself or, you know, I'm going to be bleeding for days. And I just, so for me, I, um, I just, I took this uh, surgical procedure, the suction and you know, I went in the room and I was laying there and my feet were in the stirrups and uh, right before the woman uh, put me out, which I actually found out later that they normally don't, um, they normally don't knock you out for uh, first trimester abortions for the most mm-hmm. part, but they did for me. Hmm. And uh, as they were doing that, I remember a woman at the door asking if uh, three medical students could come in and watch for class. And like, I didn't even really answer. And Mm. all of a sudden three men walked in and of course, you know, I'm a minor and I'm bare to the whole world. And before I can do anything there and they're injecting me, I remember feeling the 
most horrific pain of my life. And then I passed out. Gosh. Yeah, that sounds traumatic. Yeah, I mean, I feel like <laughs> as someone who's, you know, been to um, his share of pro-life rallies, I feel like I've heard this story <laughs> a dozen times, um, which I, that sounded bad. I didn't mean it in a bad no, way at all. I'm just saying, it's, you know. No, trust me, I understand completely and I didn't take it that way. It's, I feel the exact same way. I can't tell you how many times girls or young, you know, teenagers or young women or even older women who've never shared their story will message me and bear their testimony to me and it's like mm -hmm. outside of a few details it's just the same story over and over so um you said you, you said earlier that after you um go through with the procedure you you kind of defaulted to a pro-choice position is that is that what you said or yeah pretty much uh and when they when they sent me home they sent me home with um, a one month free of birth control in a goodie bag, in a brown paper bag. And that was it. And so I went home and I was severely depressed and didn't even know what my life was for a couple of weeks. And then out of nowhere, I just started finding reasons to justify everything. And for years, you know, I started moving into the pro-choice crowd, especially on Facebook. I started going after people like Abby Johnson and Stan True, like Brian Kemper. And, you know, I just started attacking people and I was ravenous and I was a full on pro-abort. Um, I was hateful and angry and pro-choice people loved me. And it's really funny because now um, I think I have most of them blocked now. <laughs> but when I, when I became pro-life, oh my God, that was like a shock to everyone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's amazing what we do to, you know, self-preservation essentially. Yeah. Um, and that's, I mean, that's kind of one of the themes I, I keep hitting on in this show, you know, almost regardless of what we're talking about is, you know, it's, it's less about, you know, we form these considered positions and then we act accordingly. It's more like we act and then we take whatever positions we need to take to justify what we've already done. Um, there's ob obviously um, two um, changes of mind that we need to address at some point, which is um, at some point you obviously lost your faith and became an atheist. And at some point you turn around from the, um, the pro-choice toward position toward the pro-life position. Um, so I guess we can talk about those in either order, um, <laughs> whichever well, you prefer. I, be I became pro-life first. Uh, okay. I became pro-life about eight and a half years ago, um, almost nine. So when I, when I became pregnant again, um, it was with, you know, my now husband, I was 19 and, you know, we got pregnant and I remember scheduling my eight week ultrasound. And I, I remember thinking it was really weird because the woman at Planned Parenthood years ago told me that I wouldn't be able to see anything or there was really nothing to detect. So I remember I couldn't figure out why on earth this mattered. So I show up and, you know, this is an actual hospital, a real medical facility. And mm -hmm. there's this awesome doctor and I'm laying down. And of course, it's a when you're that early, they do a transvaginal ultrasound. And because, you know, the, the fetus, newly turned fetus is very tiny. And sure. I remember they had a, a big flat screen TV mm -hmm. and that's what they used as the monitor. And all of a sudden she just stopped on this little human with 160 beat per minute heartbeat. And you could see the body and this big fat head and these <laughs> little nubs for arms and legs that weren't quite arms and legs. And she was just wiggling. And I remember my whole world just crashed because for years I sat here fighting what mm. abortion, you know, that abortion was this great thing that it didn't kill anything. It was a clump of cells. It's a woman, like everything, every argument we've ever heard I used and I used it verbatim and as staunchly as possible. And then all of a sudden I'm faced with this tiny human life. And I had to all of a sudden three years prior came rushing back and I had to face what I allowed someone to do to my first child. And, you know, but I, I didn't change right away. I tried even harder to stay pro-choice, you know, going back to self-preservation just mm -hmm. because I knew the truth did not mean I wanted to accept it. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, after a while, it's just, there, there was nothing I could do. It was this, I couldn't lie to myself anymore. And so uh, I actually reached out to Abby Johnson, 
I feel like I say her name for in all of my testimonies because she really is such an impactful part. Um, so I spent years attacking her and then mm-hmm. I ended up reaching out to her via email and I was like, Hey, so I'm that jerk that has like harassed you forever. Um, so I'm pregnant and I had an abortion, but now that I saw my baby, I don't understand what's happening. And she ended up calling me on the phone and talking to me for like, uh, and she talked to me for like two and a half hours. And she told me her story of, you know, her abortions, her conversion, her working at Planned Parenthood. And it just was a roller coaster from there. Um, why don't we talk about how you uh, how you lost your faith, how you became an atheist? Because I'm curious to to learn about that as well. This is a story that everyone is wants me to talk about, and it's the most uneventful story I could ever tell you. Um, I literally just woke up an atheist. I. I've never been mad at God a day in my life. I've never had something traumatic happen to me where I questioned my faith. Um, I've always spent my life researching and wanting to know more and delve into, I've always loved theology. I mean, you know, like I said, I was, I was baptized Catholic, raised Methodist. Then I was, you know, I, I spent a lot of my life having much more of a personal relationship via a you know, a labeled Christian one. And then I moved to Colorado to live with my biological dad. So I moved to Colorado when I was 13 and my dad is a nut job. <laughs> and I mean as literal as possible. My dad literally believes he is the re- he is the reincarnated brother of Jesus Christ. Like my dad's whack. Impressive if true, but, uh, <laughs> I know. And then, you know, and, and I, I've, I've always found like reincarnation to be really cool. I was like, well, if energy can't be created nor destroyed. Okay, sure. I get that. <laughs> I take it to a crazy level. And um, so of course, when I moved here, I, you know, I, I moved here just before turning 14 and it's such an impressionable age. And, mm. you know, I grew up with a very strict set of rules being in a Christian conservative home. Sure. And so when I moved here, all of a sudden my dad's this free thinker and this spiritualist and very, very liberal slash socialist. And he was like, oh, do whatever you want. (laughs) And then my stepmom was Jewish. So I also partook in everything. That's quite a background. Wow. Yep. And then, you know, my husband is a traditional Roman Catholic. So of course we were meant to be married. (laughs) And when we met, I like, I hated Christians. I thought they were the worst people of the worst. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of went through everything. Like I, I, uh, I considered deism for a while. I always thought classical deism, uh, similar to some of our founding fathers sure. was interesting. You know, um, God created all that is and then left. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, I can deal with that. And then one day I just woke up and I, I couldn't believe I couldn't make myself. And I tried, I prayed, I begged, I, mm. I, screamed I was so confused Mm -hmm. and uh, I remember you know I was so afraid to tell my husband I was super pregnant (laughs) I was like one month from popping with our third kid and I was like oh "Oh, my husband's gonna leave me like yeah it's over it's done (laughs) (laughs) but uh, yeah it's just I take it he didn't Um. no not at all (laughs) it was was weird for him Uh uh-huh um, especially cause I was that person similar to when I was pro-choice. I was like, I could never not believe in God. Yeah. I could just never, you know, I could never be pro-life. And, but I've always held the position of, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not the level seven on the Darwin scale where they're like, there is absolutely no God ever. <laughs> uh, people would call me a quote unquote soft atheist, yeah. which I don't really care about, but it's, you know, to me, I'm like, if there is a God, Whichever one it is, it knows that I'm open to believing. Mm-hmm. And if it if that's what it chooses, it knows what would make me change my mind. It knows that I'm not sitting here claiming it doesn't exist. I just, I haven't quite found the reason to believe or I haven't found it within myself to believe again. Sure. I want to go back to something you said earlier, though, because um, you talked about being raised Christian and how you felt like you had a relationship with God and I, I don't know exactly how you put it. Like you talk to him constantly or something like that. Is that accurate or is that? 
Yeah. Cause I, I guess I'm, I'm curious, like I'm not, <laughs> to be clear, this is not a leading question at all. This is real. This is genuine curiosity. Um, what do you attribute that to? If you, if you felt like you were, you know, constantly having these conversations with God as a kid and then now you're just like, well, no, God never existed. Like what, what do you, what do you attribute that experience to? It actually got me really curious in just psychology and how the human brain works. Sure. Yeah. And the things that we create for ourselves, you know, and I'm, I'm still grateful or grateful that I had that belief back then because it honestly, I think kept me from suicide. Uh-huh. I was a horribly depressed kid. I self mutilated for 11 years. Oh gosh. Like I was in a horrible state all the time. And was that even before the abortion or is that? Yeah, it was before the abortion and then it got even worse after the abortion. Gosh. Um, I'm like, I'm, I'm super open about everything, by yeah, the way, like sure. drug use and like partying and all that stuff. Like my life went to crap, <laughs> <laughs> but like it, it's what, it's what it is. And that's, and I'm, I'm really grateful for all of it because I get to look at my kids and be like, here are all the ways your mom screwed up. <laughs> and now we have a way to hopefully help you not make the same literal and emotional scars that I did. Sure. Sure. But, um, but yeah, no, to me, it's more just, I mean, I was raised with God, so mm-hmm. it's normal that I would have been like, Oh, of course God is this almighty being that I can't see or, or necessarily prove. Um, but I have faith and that's enough. So in my brain, I created this essentially a great imaginary friend and that's not to offend anyone. That's just how I look at it now, but you know, I'm, I'm still very grateful for it. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, I want to ask you about something you, you said a few minutes ago that you kind of just glossed over. You said you, you hated Christians. Was that when you were on your, your pro-choice tear or was that? Yeah. And that wasn't necessarily with abortion. It Uh was more just, that was my dad. Oh, sure. Um, my dad, every day he would always make mocking quips about, you know, the way Christians were, you know, that Jesus wasn't the way that people portray him. And, um, he very much coincided Christ with like liberalism, Uh the way you see a lot of people do now, like, like Jesus would have open borders, things like that. And so that's really where I got it from you know, for me, it's part of, it's, it coincides with change because when I first became pro-life, I was really angry. Mm -hmm. I was angry at my dad. I was angry at, at myself. I was really self-hating for believing that I didn't have the strength to walk away. And so, you know, I don't advocate for graphic images, but I used to, like, Mm -hmm. I used to post them all over Facebook and this is before I had a public page, but, um, Mm -hmm. You know, I used to be the person that was like, abortion is murder and you're killing babies. And I was, I was just, I was, I was the version, I was the pro-life version of who I was when I was Mm pro-choice. And uh, when I finally, the thing that made me change was I hurt someone Hmm. and I didn't mean to. There was a girl that reached out to me who had had an abortion and she wasn't regretful, but we talked a lot and I felt like had I not made the mistake I did, which was talking about her abortion publicly when we were talking on my page, that really mm-hmm. hurt her because it wasn't something she was out about. And I used it in a negative way towards her. Hmm. And when I did that, I realized that I was allowing my own anger towards myself and what happened to hurt other people, even if it wasn't intentional. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm just all I'm doing is being the pro-lifer that will push someone to have an abortion. Hmm. And I was like, I just I don't want to live that way. Sure. I want to talk about that a little more, I think, because I feel like, um, to be clear, I am pro-life. Um, like that's probably the one thing you and I would agree about. <laughs> like I'm not an atheist and I'm not a Trump supporter, but I am pro-life. Um, and I, 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 I feel like there's so I, I feel very hopeless about the current abortion debate in the US. Like I feel like I'm so tired of the word polarized. I'm so tired of that word, but I think it's accurate. <laughs> you know, like there's so people on both sides are so uh, angry and hateful at each other and so unwilling to compromise and so unwilling to, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm falling back on so many cliches here, (laughs) but you know what I mean, right? Like, um, like what is like, 
abortion is is one of those things that I'm frankly like terrified to speak about because I feel like there's so little that can be said that will actually do good, you know? Um it's either it's either you're you're preaching to the choir or you're like just you know uh, inflaming the anger of of people that don't understand um and so i i guess i guess the question is like what what's the what's the what's the way forward here i mean you're you're a pro-life activist i'm not you tell me (laughs) the best conversations i have with people Mm -hmm. is when i can ask them questions and we can find common ground Uh um i you know, and, and I don't do this all the time. I'm very passionate. I get ahead of myself. But when I can actually have a conversation with someone, I, I really try to understand where they're coming from. And especially as someone that used to be pro-choice, I have to almost kind of get back into that mindset and be like, okay, I understand it's wrong. I understand all the flaws and what they're saying. But that doesn't mean they recognize that. So what can I do to open myself to them? Because once someone feels comfortable with you, it's amazing how many walls they let down. They're no longer sitting there. Well, it's a clump of cells. Well, it's not even a human. It's not alive. It's a woman's, you know, her body, her choice. Right. They, they let go of all of those cliche arguments and they start talking. And for me, that's the way I've gotten most people, you know, the, not most people, but the people that have come to me and have, switched from being pro-choice to pro-life it's because they found someone who they could really talk to Hmm. and they didn't feel like they were forced to change or forced to leave their old belief system behind and so i mean even if you can just talk about hey i agree that our healthcare system needs needs a reform whatever Mm -hmm. that way even if we don't necessarily agree on the way it's done you know what can we do to better? What kind of legislation can we agree on that helps the foster care system and the adoption care system? You know, and just, just even if it's a broad spectrum, something. I mean, that sounds like a full-time job. <laughs> is that, is the, I mean, that sounds like it takes up a huge chunk of your time. Am I, am I right in assuming that? It, it does. Yeah. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm grateful to be in the place where I stay home. So, you know, if, while the kids are quietly working on their homework, if I can be on my phone for a minute and run away or a- answer a message, it makes that more possible. I want to talk about the uh, the, the elephant in the room, which is the Trump thing. <laughs> That's fine. Um, I always tell people because uh, I, I don't I don't post about politics. So, sure. Uh, sure. I'm, you probably saw that one post I made. I feel um, like I've seen a couple from you, but um, yeah. I haven't, I've never posted about a specific politician in like support. Um, Uh I've made, made joking ones, but ironically, they're almost Mm -hmm. always towards uh, the libertarian, Uh uh, like, like Austin Peterson. He was my number one in 2016. And then when when Gary Johnson got it, I was like, oh, well, oh, well. Yeah. (laughs) I, I mean, my, my political views as a rule tend to be pretty far to the left, especially on the economic range of things. But I, you know, I also pretty pro-life, which means I, I'm really pretty politically homeless. Um, but honestly, you're my favorite kind of people though. (laughs) I love that more people on the left, regardless how far or central they are that we can unify with pro-life. Right. Right. Um, so I, I don't know, like when I, <laughs> I got to say, when I saw the pro-life movement kind of hitching its wagon to Donald Trump, I was pretty horrified, um, which, you know, obviously I guess he's, you know, I, I can under, like, I can kind of understand why <laughs> pro-life people would like Trump. He's made good on the promise of pro-life judges, which is, I mean, it's not nothing, you know, um, but at the same time, it's like, I feel like every slur I hear about pro-lifers like oh they just want to control women's bodies like that is obviously very very true of donald trump (laughs) like if it's true of anyone it's true of donald trump um you know and i gotta say the first time i heard that like which was you know maybe a decade ago i was like what who gets off on controlling women's bodies and then i was like oh donald trump does (laughs) um you know and it's just like to me I, I feel like if if I wanted to discredit the pro life movement, I don't know if I could think of a better way than getting Donald Trump involved with it. So, 
That's actually, I, I do agree, actually. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I have, it's, it's been, so my husband and I didn't want to actually vote for Trump in 2016, sure. but because, so my husband works in the oil field and the natural gas field. Uh-huh. And the reason we voted for Trump and if he is elected, he, you know, we'd vote for him again. It's purely the status of his work. Uh-huh. Because the state, you know, in Colorado, it's very Democrat, and they have repeatedly, repeatedly tried to shut down what he does for a living. Uh-huh. Because they want to use all these other resources and heavily regulate um, the oil fields and everything you can think of, and that would hurt my family. So for me, I'm I'm not a one issue voter, and I don't actually vote. Um, politically in in the presidential regard on social issues which makes me the weird lifer because i'm like for me it's economics sure and it's for what benefit my family yeah so we're we're not the uh you know trump train 2020 (laughs) and it actually my husband it pisses him off a lot because as 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 right-leaning as we are for being you know pretty libertarian and independent we loathe the way that people treat politicians like celebrities. And that's mm-hmm. what's happened with Donald Trump. No, he was a celebrity how- before he was a politician. <laughs> it's, oh, it's so weird. Yeah. But, you know, for us, it, it purely is what can help our family. We've talked about this some, I guess. Um, one, of the, one of the questions I ask is... is um, do you have a do you have a coming out story? Like, what was it like to tell everyone you had changed your mind? Um, and maybe I don't know. You've talked about that a little. Do you want to talk about it a little more? Or? It was so the, the, pro, the related to the pro life one or the atheist one. Uh, well, let's do let's do the pro life one first. So I don't even really remember the coming out of it. Um, uh-huh. When I finally started talking about it, I was thankfully like out of my dad's house, which made it a lot easier. Sure. Uh, he, when I got pregnant again, I was still living at home and he actually made good on the promise that if I didn't have another abortion, he'd kick me out of the house and wow. kick me out of the house because I wouldn't. So I lived out of my car for a little while. Wow. And then I lived with a, an old high school buddy of my husband's mm-hmm. and just uh, about a month and a half, two months after that, uh, we, we bought our first apartments. Mm-hmm. And so that made it a lot easier that I wasn't around. I, I hate the word toxic. I feel like it's been ruined by <laughs> crazy feminists. Sure. Um, but it really was. It was good to get away from toxic people. So it made it easier. And of course, you know, social media makes things like it easier to talk about whatever you want. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it was really hard at first because when I all of a sudden – I was in my, you know, normal abortion debate groups and there were all the people who, sorry if it sounds like there are pterodactyls in the background, yes. my girls are in bed and it's like, they're <laughs> just, I just realized I like, oh, someone's being beat. Yeah, I was, I was like, someone's dying or something. No, I, I mean, I have kids. I know how it is. So <laughs> my eldest has wanted to be a paleontologist since she was three. So she loves to make dinosaur noise. <laughs> Um, but I remember being in the abortion debate groups and all of a sudden I, I I don't remember a ton of it. It was so long ago, but I I remember at least defending someone who is pro-life and people were so confused. (laughs) Like it was, you know, cause I was the one, like I was always front and center of, I will own you if you are Uh pro-life and dare to be a woman's right to choose and (laughs) And it was weird. And I, I ended up actually leaving all the debate groups I was in, all the pro-choice anything, because it got so bad about people, yeah, people going after me and saying how I was betraying my own gender. And oh, that was fun. Yeah. But uh, yeah. But you know, I, I I was really lucky enough to start finding good people. Like I came out with my abortion story. I recorded it on a cheap ten dollar little video camera from Best Buy, mm-hmm. and I uploaded it on YouTube. And it got picked up by Priest for Life and Live Action and Stand True and all them. And so when that happened, and it just blew up, I I didn't feel so alone. Yeah, and it made it a lot easier to start you know, watching people and figure out where my voice was in this movement. Do you want to talk a little bit about um, the idea that 
being pro-life is anti-woman. <laughs> do you want to, do you want to respond to that maybe? Or I don't get it. Thing <laughs> is how sex selective abortion primarily targets girls yeah. and it is widespread, especially in stereotypical countries like China and India, but we know we have it here. Mm. And, and I've, you know, it's one of those like, ah, I'm, I'm anti-woman because I am against targeting females to be killed because they are a female. Mm, something doesn't seem right on that. But I, I, I do know where people are coming from, and I think it's important to acknowledge that. I, I understand the position of wanting people to have control over their bodies, and I, I don't – pro-life people need to stop acting like pregnancy is this breeze. Mm-hmm. Like it's no big deal. Like, oh, it's fine. Like whether it's a financial issue or, you know, when – um, the newest, uh, 2016, it was 61%. And this year they finally updated their stats and it's 59% of women who have an abortion annually in the U S already have at least one child. Hmm. Like you aren't women who are getting pregnant for fun <laughs> or, or having abortion for fun. Like right. they already have at least one mouth. They're worried. They're scared. Maybe their healthcare sucks. Maybe, hmm. you know, just anything. Sure. Um, and that needs to be acknowledged or when people just say that, hey, you know, oh, what about adoption? OK, don't do not treat adoption like it's the most fickle thing someone could choose. I have um, maybe maybe one more question about your story that I, I kind of want to ask, which is um, obviously that your story of your abortion is a very traumatic one. Um, but obviously there are also a lot of, a lot of, uh, women who have abortions and don't have a traumatic experience. Um, and it's fine. And I, I'm curious if your experience had not been so traumatic, do you think you would have landed in a, a different place ide- ideologically or. You know, I've thought about that before mm-hmm. and I think it really comes down to what changed my mind was knowing the truth that it is a living human inside. It wasn't, you know, because I've, I've had a really, really bad experience with pregnancy too, with, uh, my, mm-hmm. our son, you know, in the hospital and, you know, as, as bad or traumatic as those can be, what, what it came down to was consistency. So mm-hmm. I think at least in my mind, I don't think it would have event it would have mattered because you know my especially you know especially being atheist now mm-hmm. it's it really mm-hmm. comes down to this is the only life that me or you or anyone will have and we're sitting here ironically playing god mm-hmm. and saying well you're disposable and I look at that and go okay well why is a human being worthy of being biohazard trash mm-hmm. one minute but the moment they're breathing air and out, it's like, oh, it's a baby. It's perfect. It's wonderful. Like that, that doesn't compute. All right. Well, um, aside from your new beliefs themselves, what would you say you learned from the experience of changing your mind? Ironically, it's, I'm constantly, well, two things. I'm, I'm constantly learning how, how do we even put that? So kind of, kind of going along the lines of, of stereotypes, uh-huh. you know, you look at, Someone like me and the way I look, you you don't think uh, through life. Sure. And I realize more and more that, you know, even I hold on to my own stereotypes. And it's good when I kind of get knocked back from that. Hmm. Uh, when I see other people and think I, oh, well, you know, um, they must be this way and they're not. Hmm. And that really helps me on my position of, of letting go of what I would consider an ego that you think, you know, something about someone before you've had a conversation. And I really just try to hold on to everything I've experienced and use that as a way to, to better myself and my relations with people and where I want to go in this entire thing, whether it's more activism, more social media presence, more, more things like this. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, what is, what is truly important at the end of the day? Yeah. And I appreciate that, um, that theme that we've been touching on of, um, you know, see people as people, not as part of groups, um, not as part of stereotypes. I appreciate that. I have three questions, um, that I try to ask all my guests at the end of the show. Um, try to stab at these questions of ontology and epistemology. Um, you know, how do we know truth? How do we know ourselves? Um, 
first of all, what is identity? Does everyone have an identity? How do you know your identity? What do you think? God, I'm so bad at philosophy. <laughs> really, so you know, you know, dank pro-life memes. Yeah, yeah. So he and I are good buddies, and I I message him all the time, going, "Man, I really hate philosophy. I don't know how you love this stuff. It's so confusing." <laughs> hey, if you if you're if you're out there arguing for the pro-life position, you're doing philosophy, whether you want to or not. <laughs> I mean, especially, especially if you're arguing from an atheistic point of view, because there's no, there's no theological way for you to get it. (laughs) So frustrating. You you know, you know, I've had, you're my 17th guest on this show and I've had all sorts of answers for these questions. Some are profoundly deep and some have just been cute and funny and I, you know, I'm fine with whatever. I just want to know what you think. (laughs) I think as, as corny as it sounds, identity is, is an ever-changing thing. And I'm sure, I think people have multiple because you have the identity that you see yourself as. You have the identity that those closest to you give you. You have the identity, you know, of the five minutes where you just pissed someone off really bad on the road. So now they, they have the idea in their head that you identify as the biggest a-hole ever. Like, <laughs> I love that. That's great. Yeah. So I guess to me, it's it's just an ever-changing thing. Hmm. That's really interesting, yeah. Um, second, what is what is human nature? Are we all the same deep down? Are we all different? Are we all blank slates? What do you think? God, I think there's so many things to that one. I mean, <laughs> especially with whether, whether you believe in a god or you believe the earth is 6,000 years old or you believe that you know, it's purely evolution without God, or even, you know, go Catholic and acknowledge that, yes, God, you know, we have a big bang, but God made that. It's, we really have the, the blessing, you could call it, of being creatures that evolve, not, not even just like, you know, from evolution, but just in our, our, you know, 75, 80, 90 years on this planet. And I mean, you, you can always go towards, you know, the, the technical definition of human nature, but I think deep down, most of us have that position of do to others what you'd want done to you, which of course, ironically is a Christian belief that's even biblical, you know, and outside of the few sociopaths, <laughs> I think most of us really do want to do good. We feel good when we do something to help someone. And I think, I think human nature really just comes down to... God, I don't know. That that's a question that really that that one could go on forever. <laughs> I will say I am fascinated by the existence of sociopaths. You know, like most of us want to do good for people just innately, <laughs> but sociopaths don't. And obviously we're in the majority, but how do we know that we're right and they're wrong? <laughs> I, I don't know if you've ever seen the the show Dexter. Uh, no, I actually haven't. It's it's on my to watch list, but I, I haven't gotten around to it, it. It really is remarkable, and of course, you know, you understand he's a serial killer. I right. imagine it's, and of course, you know, he's gone from sociopath to psychopath uh, because something physical has taken place. But uh, it's really cool. So and this doesn't, you know, no spoilers or anything. But he uh, he has a woman that has known him that has kind of watched him grow up and she has the position that psychopaths are actually more evolved than the normal human <laughs> um because their their position truly is to just survive uh-huh. no matter the cost while still doing whatever they want like it is pure carnal carnality uh-huh. and want and i always thought that was really fascinating and finally um what is truth how do you know truth how do you know when you found truth? What do you think? Uh, okay, so I'm going to tell you why I hate that question. Not because <laughs> of the wrong question. So my dad, going back to my dad and his his ways. Um, <laughs> I feel like we could have a whole show about your dad. He sounds like a really interesting guy. <laughs> you know what sucks? Okay, it doesn't suck, but he he would give you the shirt off his back. My dad would do literally anything for anyone. He really is a great guy. I just would never want my children to learn 90% of life's lessons from him. Um, Well, and he kicked you out of the house, you said, so he wasn't a great guy to you. (laughs) I will say that my dad's come a long way with that. He's actually acknowledged very recently that he made a mistake ever pushing me into a choice I didn't want, which is not something I ever, 
ever thought that I would hear from him. Yeah. Cause he actually told me once that, um, that he knew what was best for me and it didn't matter if I regretted and felt bad. Wow. But my, my dad, um, I don't know if you've ever, so my dad is part of the new age movement uh-huh. and he, do you know what the, like the secret is or down the rabbit hole or what the bleep do we know? Yeah. I, I'm familiar with the secret at least. So my dad, that's what my dad bases his life off okay. of. Okay. Which is, is and, kind of the as above, so be, or as below, so above thing where you can control the universe with your thoughts, that, that sort of idea. Yeah. 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 So I, it took me a long time to get out of that. I actually made a YouTube video that also blew up saying why the new age movement is dangerous. <laughs> um, but it's essentially this position that uh, if you think it, you're going to make it happen. It may not be this lifetime. It could be 10 lifetimes from now. Um, and it, it's honestly terrifying because yeah. especially when you're a teenager, you know, uh, example, my dad believed that if you called someone an a-hole enough, it would give you rectal cancer. <laughs> yep. 100% serious. 100%. That just made my day. That made my day. <laughs> but no, like that really messed with me because it was like, and that really was connected to what is truth because it was all your personal truth. There was no such thing as right or wrong. Uh-huh. And, you know, when I started having children, um, I would, I would think about them in the middle of the night and I would think if, if I thought something bad would happen to them and I didn't go check on them that second and they died, it was my fault and Hmm. I killed them Hmm. because I thought it like, wow. So, and again, sorry, like going on like a long tangent away from what is truth, but that's something my dad would always ask me, well, what is your truth? Because right and wrong doesn't exist. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, of course I, being in a place where I don't believe morality comes from a a greater being, Mm -hmm. you know, I really do think we do create our own morals. And so for me, it really comes back to, you know, the morality aspect of would you, would I, would I want someone to do that to me and what have I learned through my daily life? But yeah. And, and just, you know, I really do think it is subjective though. I will say, and, uh, you know, if I ever find it, if it's something you want to read, cause I need to read it. Um, I guess there's actually a large group of, of secularists and atheists that, um, believe in a, in an objective truth and how they come to that position. I've always been fascinated with that. I just haven't taken the time to read about it and research it. Yeah. I mean, if you, um, if you have any books to, to recommend on that, I'd, you know, I'd love to hear it. Um, because I, I, you know, I, I, I do think, I do feel like, you know, if you, if you start from a, an atheistic position that you kind of hit an epistemological wall when it comes to morality, it's like, you know, it's, it's, um, I know you said you don't like philosophy, but <laughs> are you familiar with David Hume's Is Ought Gap at all? No, um, I'm not. Okay. So David Hume was a 18th century Scottish philosopher, I believe. Um, and you know, he, he, um, his big thing was, you know, all these philosophers around me are always talking about how things are. And then they jump from that to how things ought to be. You know, how do you get from, but how do you get from how things are to how things ought to be, you know? Um, and I, obviously I'm, I'm not really doing him justice, but um, <laughs> I, 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 I personally have never heard that, um, that concern addressed in a way I found convincing, you know, like if you, if you are, if you believe in, if you don't believe in a supernatural being who created the universe for a certain purpose, how do you get from things are this way to things ought to be this way? Um, and I don't know, but if you, if you ever figure it out, let me know. Cause I'm curious. <laughs> I, say, I like that. I'll have to, uh, if you'll message me his name, I'll have to look into him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I absolutely will. Um, anyway, Thank you so much uh, for coming on the show, Albany. It really has uh, been a pleasure talking to you. Um, I'm really glad I found you on Facebook. I'm really glad we got to talk. Um, Before you go, uh, do you have anything you want to plug? Social media presence, anything else? Um, It's pretty easy to find me. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, If you search Albany Rose, there's not a lot of us. So, you know, if you want to follow my pro-life stuff. It's there. All right. Well, this has been Changed My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. I'm Luke T. Harrington. You can find me on Twitter at Luke T. Harrington or go 
to my website, LukeTHarrington.com. Thanks for listening. All right. Uh, well, I guess now the entire internet knows that I am pro-life, which probably won't win me a whole lot of new fans. Um, oh, well, I can live with that. Um, it's not like it was a secret. It was out there. Um, it's It's been a while since I, I wrote or talked about it, but it it, it is out there. Um, I actually talk about it a bit more um, in a conversation I had with a guy named J.B. Shreve, who has his own podcast um, that you can find out there in podcast land. Um, the title of the podcast is J.B. Shreve and the End of History, um, which is an interesting title. I should have asked him what it meant. I mean, I do know where the quote, the end of history comes from, but I, I am curious why I used it for his podcast. Anyway, uh, the title of the episode is The Christian Democrat, uh, which would be me. Um, so, I, yeah, I talk about my pro-life convictions a bit more on that. Um, as I said on the show, there's not a lot I actually agree with Albany about. Um, unlike her, I am not an atheist. Unlike her, I am not a uh, right-winger. Um, <laughs> but I... I do fundamentally agree with her on one thing, which is that the pro-life issue is not fundamentally a religious issue, or it shouldn't be. Um, It is a a human rights issue. I'm reminded of a video that Bill Nye made for the website Big Think, maybe about five years ago, Um, and it was one of the most embarrassing things I've ever seen. because Bill Nye <laughs> decided to address the pro-life movement without, apparently without even finding out what they believed or what they had to say. Um, he opened his video with, you literally do not know what you're talking about. And then he launched into this this diatribe that it barely even made sense. Um, it was something along the lines of, I know you guys believe this 5,000-year-old book that says every time a woman has sex, she gets pregnant, and every fetus has a soul, but none of that is true, and you're stupid, and come on, guys, there's more important things to worry about than abortion. And that that was basically the whole uh, argument. Like, I'm using a Cartman voice, but um, uh, that, that was um, Bill Nye saying that, um, and... You know, obviously the the irony there is of opening a video with you literally do not know what you're talking about and then going on for five minutes to demonstrate that he didn't know what he was talking about. Um, No, the Bible is not 5,000 years old. No, the Bible does not say that every time a woman has sex, she gets pregnant. No, the Bible does not say that life begins at conception. Um, Those of us who have pro-life convictions don't believe them because of some arcane reading of the Bible. We believe them because we're coming from two basic places, one of which is that human beings have the right to life, uh, which is not terribly controversial, and the other of which is that human life begins at conception, um, which is a scientific fact. Um, That's not even controversial among biologists. it's a scientific fact, just like global warming. Um, and that's just reality. Um, and that's basically all I have to say this week. Uh, I hope I don't lose too many fans for saying that. Um, as I've said, I'm, I'm not a Trump supporter. I haven't voted Republican in a long, long time. I think that the best way the pro-life movement could have undermined itself was in hitching its wagon to Donald Trump. I know to a lot of Trump supporters, it seems like he's given the pro-life movement some short-term victories, but in the end, Donald Trump always looks out for Donald Trump, and Donald Trump will throw the pro-life movement under the bus the second they are not advantageous to him, and the second they stop cheering his name. Um, Anyway, I'm going to cut things off there this week. That's about all I have to say. If you are enjoying the show, please take a second to rate or review it on iTunes. It costs you $0 and 0 cents to give me three, four, or five stars on iTunes. Um, I would really appreciate it if you would. Um, if you want to help me out, there are a few options. Uh, I have a Ko-Fi 
ko-fi.com slash change my mind. Um, that's just where you can buy me a coffee. That's why it's called that. Um, you can throw me three bucks or six bucks or nine bucks, depending on how much coffee you want to buy me. Uh, I need all the coffee I can get. So that's an option. If you want to pre-order my upcoming book, which is called Murder Bears, Moonshine, and Mayhem, Strange Stories from the Bible to Leave You Amused, Bemused, and Hopefully Informed, um, you can pre-order that from Amazon. It will be out in August. Uh, publishers love to see pre-orders. They give them warm fuzzies. Um, so help me out. Help the poor people at HarperCollins Publishing out. Uh, go find my book on Amazon. Um, I have one other thing that you can support financially, which is completely unrelated to what I'm doing here. That's an ongoing fiction project with my good friend, best-selling, award-winning author, KB Hoyle, over at Project Co Narrative. So that's co-narrative.com. Um, it's a Patreon-supported novel. We're writing live on the internet together, alternating chapters. It's a lot of fun. There's ghosts in it. There's pirates in it. There's all sorts of fun things in it. I want to thank Albany Rose for being on the show. Um, she was delightful to talk to. Uh, she is present on all the cool social media platforms the kids like. Uh, she's on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, uh, Instagram. You can find her. Just search for Albany Rose. I want to thank Raven Creek Social Club for hosting the podcast. Uh, check out their other podcasts, The Commentarians and Faith and Other Oddities. And I want to thank you. Uh, for listening to Change My Mind, and don't be afraid to change your mind. <laughs>